Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Grace and peace to you in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, greetings, it's Dan Wilt here, and I have the privilege of sharing with you today from the Word of God. And it really is a wonderful gift to be able to be in some way present with people, with a family that we so deeply treasure in our own lives. I'll introduce myself for those that I haven't met. My name is Dan Wilt. Uh, my wife, Anita, and I have spent uh, considerable time over the years with Andy and Harmony and with the whole community and then the wider community uh, in the worship and, and church and pastoral community of the vineyards there in Northern Ireland and in the UK. And one of the great delights of our life has been to nurture relationship and nurture friendship. David and, and Kristen and so many others there have become so dear to us. Of course, uh, some of you have also met my daughters, uh, Anna, of course, and Abigail, and they are uh, great joys and delights to us. And our son, Benjamin, hasn't gotten there yet, but he is going to uh, very soon, we believe. So uh, we have had the privilege of over the last many, many years, over the last two decades, uh, uh, the privilege of spending time with what I've come to call, and, and this can be testified to by my wife and others, one of truly one of my favorite churches on planet Earth at this time in our generation. And I know sometimes we look at ourselves and think, really? And yet uh, I want to say this as someone who has had the, the, the honor of seeing many churches at work in the world, being the people of God for such a time as this, celebrating the victory of God in the world, that uh, I can say with great confidence that, that you guys are a delight to the heart of God. You're a delight to those of us who have been enriched by your presence. And, and I'm so grateful for the faithfulness of, of Andy and Harmony, especially through these years, to stay steady, to continue to seek to build uh, Jesus-centric community in, in that beautiful city of Belfast. So I really am grateful to share with you today, and uh, I look forward to our next few moments together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 7. I am uh, a preacher in the spirit of the storyteller, if you will. There are many different preaching modalities that, that pastors and teachers can communicate in and through. They all have their benefits. There's expository preaching and exegetical preaching and topical preaching and, and so many uh, other ways of communicating the Word of God. But I'm very fond of one of the ways that seemed to have strength in the early church where they would just dive right into a gospel. There would uh, be no grand illustration that started things off. They'd go right to the Word of God and then they'd explore it. And I I personally have come to call this wandering preaching. 
And I don't mean wandering. You're thinking, oh no, what's about to happen here? I don't mean wandering in the sense of aimless wandering. I mean wandering in the sense of uh, what I've shared there before, if you've ever heard me, me teach when I'm there, uh, this idea that is in Celtic Christian spirituality, and it's the idea of peregrinatio, that we are all on a peregrinatio. It's a journey, but it has the, the uh, implications, the, the sense of, of, of intoning of the idea of wandering, that it, it means that we are in motion. And if we caught a bird's eye view of this, I think our spiritual life, our journey would look far less like a linear walk somewhere. And it would look far more like some of the walks we take and even some of the dances we experience where there are circles and the process of the Christian life, as it's been said in many different ways and, and, and forms, is not in seeing new places, but it's in seeing old places with new eyes. It's in drilling deeper into our maturity in friendship with Jesus. It's in learning in a dance to allow him to take the lead, to move our steps, to take us to the places that he would design and desire to take us to along this path that we call life. Psalm 16 speaks about this idea. You have shown me the paths of life. You have shown me. And I believe that we can approach the scriptures uh, in a bit of a wandering uh, sense. And with that sensibility in our hearts, we can recognize that we're not walking this journey alone. It's like the road to Emmaus. We are hearing things we didn't hear before, and we're sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And that's the invitation I'd like to make uh, to you, with you, over these next few moments. And we say, Holy Spirit, come. Walk with us on this journey through these passages in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, and awaken our hearts, uh, liberate our hearts to experience you in fresh and new ways that are unique to us personally and also have implications for us as the people of God in the Belfast City Vineyard, as the people of God in our city, in our nation, and in the world, in our generation, for such a time as this. And we ask these things in the name of our living Lord, Jesus. Amen. So uh, I like to draw on, as we go into the scriptures, uh, uh, a common phrase that is used often by preachers in liturgical traditions. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 7, I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to be reading much of that particular chapter all the way up to verse 44, but I'm going to be making stops along the way. Again, if you imagine that we're in a forest and we're walking the path, we're going to stop and notice certain flowers and certain trees. We're going to notice certain sounds, certain fragrances. We're also going to notice things that we've seen before and are now seeing again. And when we see something on a path, in a forest, for example, and then we see it again and again, we sometimes might think, oh, it's just deja vu, or, oh, look, it's the same thing again. But in nature, an ecosystem speaks when there is repetition in that ecosystem that something is thriving there, something should be noticed, something should be given attention. 
And that's what we want to do as we walk through John chapter 7. So the title, if you have uh, NIV or, or another Bible that has uh, titles over sections of the scripture, it says here in the NIV, Jesus goes to the Festival of Tabernacles. And I find that title fascinating because it's simply emphasizing that Jesus went to the Festival of Tabernacles, a very primary festival in the Jewish story, celebrating the tabernacling of the people of God as they were led by the Holy Spirit toward the Promised Land. And yet the choice is there uh, made by those who are putting this text together that they're going to emphasize that Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. And I would challenge that titling of this section, I would say something a little more like, what happened to Jesus on his way to and through the Festival of Tabernacles? Because what we're going to see are certain words and types of words repeated, certain types of reactions occurring, and reactions to Jesus repeated. So let's begin at verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, let's note this, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. I mean, can you feel this dripping dripping with sarcasm verse 4 no one wants to become a public no one excuse me who wants to become a public figure acts in secret now let's note this word secret no one who wants to become a public figure does secret things fascinating since you are doing these things show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Now let's just pause to notice what's here along the path just at this moment. Jesus is not wanting to go about in Judea because he knows or discerns the Jewish leaders there are looking for a way to kill him. But then the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles is near. And it's an important Part of the storyline, the covenant storyline, the great berit of the Old Testament leading into the New Testament that unifies the entire narrative of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It means covenant. Jesus is expressing this new, new culmination of covenant relationship. And the Feast of Tabernacles has everything to do with the covenantal journey the people of God are on. They were on a wandering and the Feast of Tabernacles recognizes this wandering only to some degree some aimlessness was in there. And God had to guide them and lead them and become their companion on this journey of the heart that we all go through. But look at that in verse 4, this moment. No one wants to become a public figure acts in secret. And just look up at the verse before it. So that your disciples there may what? See the works you do. People want to see what you do, Jesus. 
In fact, I think you want them to see what you do. That's why you post it on Facebook, Jesus. That's why you go to Instagram. You want people to see. No one who wants this public authority acts in secret. So since you are doing these things, you might as well turn a camera on yourself, right? And show yourself to the world how clever you are, how smart you are. The shocking miracles that you could get that, that kind of shock and awe buy-in that will generate like, 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 share, 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 share. That will actually get this gospel, this euangelion, this good news out there, Jesus. You're going to have to do what you're doing differently. Meaning what you do can be amplified by how you do it, Jesus. And what you do seems pretty cool, but how you do it don't you agree with us, Jesus, as your brothers, that the how should be a public expression of the what? Isn't that the way this good news, this gospel, this covenant power behind your miracles and words, isn't that how this will get around? Now, we might for a moment think of them in the way we often do of Judas. There's something other about them. They get to play the, the antagonist in this part of the story. They're, they're playing the bad guys in this moment. They're, they're on the other side of the heart of God. They're on the wrong side of God in this moment. But I think that we could, without doing any disservice to the text, begin to translate some of us, this into our here and now and recognize that there is something in the water that says things done in secret do not have the impact that things done in public do. Things done on camera, things done for others, things done with all the right optics, things that are seen, perceived, heard by others. Verse 5, for even his own brothers didn't believe in him. And to some degree, it's like they knew what they were saying, but they didn't believe in him, so they were prodding him on. Now, I believe in part it's because my family knows me better than anyone else. Not only my immediate family, but my, my brother, my sister, my mother and father, my uh, <laughs> nieces and nephews and others, they know me really well, especially the ones who have loved me longest and strongest over a lifetime. And I can't get away with much. And one of the things that we could note here is that potentially Jesus' brothers see a long track record of secrecy, if you will, or if, if you prefer a different word for this, hiddenness. And they're thinking there's always a better way than this secret thing you're doing. It's to go public. You want to be popular, right, Jesus? It's junior high again. You want your message to get out there. You might as well do the demo. You might as well give them, give the people what they want. Jesus, give them what they need, which is public persona, public presence. Draw all women and men to yourself through display. And Jesus is thinking potentially at that moment, oh, I will draw all men and women to myself in crucifixion, in suffering, 
at my deepest point of pain and bearing the burdens of the world, that is where I will draw all to myself. It goes on in verse 6. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. Now, Jesus has a sense of internal timing that he's implementing. In a sense, he's got a watch of the heart, a spiritual watch clock ticking within him, and he is perceiving and discerning time. Now, we've all heard about these different approaches to time and words to time, for time, excuse me, in the scriptures, or or if you haven't, here you go. There is chronos time. It's chronological time. It's what we measure on clocks and on watches. It's what we measure digitally and with with watch hands moving. There's even a, a, a long time clock, I believe it's called, that's measuring in thousands and thousands of years. But we measure chronological time. And then there is kairos time. And this is the language of the moment. This is the language of a moment of inbreaking, of encounter, of epiphany, of revelation. And Jesus somehow is discerning within himself in the midst of chronological time, if you will, moving around him and about him. It's like he is standing still as time moves on, like a highway all around him. And he is in Kairos time, discerning the moments of God discerning the transformative increments of listening and seeing and acting that give a life its weight, its authority, or to use a theological term that's also a bit astronomical (laughs) in, in its terminology, the term gravitas, that give a life its weight, give a life its gravitational pull. My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. And then he goes on to explain a little bit. The world cannot hate you, brothers. It can't. It just can't. Potentially, he's saying, because everything you do looks like everything they do. All your values look like all the values of everyone around you. They can't hate you. How can they hate you when they are so tolerant and you are so tolerable? Let's let that sit for a minute in our world as the church. How can they hate you when they are so tolerant and you are so tolerable? You choose not to ruffle feathers. You choose not to go against the grain. You choose not to resist the tide. You turn and ride the current while I walk against it. Fascinating. My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil, that some things that are happening are very, very wrong. Jesus is not only the Lord of yes, he is also the Lord and sovereign of no. And any time that the church believes that we can move through culture simply saying yes to everything the culture values, and only saying no to things that are maybe a little too religious, we deceive ourselves. We are a people of both a great yes, a resounding yes to the image of God in people, and a great no to things that we perceive as evil, as destructive, as de-integrating, as, as debilitating to the human spirit as it is made in the image of God. And being conformed, by faith in Jesus as our covenant um, covenant sealer and covenant healer, 
into, conform to the image of Christ, the truly human being. And he says in verse eight, you go to the festival. You go, get out of here, kids. You go, have a good time. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Now, I love this because Jesus isn't lying because later we're going to see he goes to the festival. But in this moment, he says, you go to the festival, but I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. What he doesn't mean is that he's never going to the festival. What he means, at least I believe in this perception, we could begin to say is I am not going to this festival. And he's attaching it to time because the time at this moment is not for me to go to it but there will be a time that I do go to it. And that's coming right up. I'm not going because my time is not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. What a powerful spiritual discipline to not move when the pressure is on, but simply to stay not necessarily to do something dramatic, not necessarily to perform some miracle to, to win some other day, <laughs> but he simply knows the spiritual discipline of staying in place, of staying where God the Father has invited him to stay and not move. He's discerning Kairos time. He's discerning times to go do things and, and to be places. He's discerning secret, hidden things from public, visible showstoppers. Jesus is discerning all of this. How? We're going to get to it. Verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, and here's the word again, but in secret. Not publicly, but in secret. Jesus is doing the opposite of a social media Maven, <laughs> a social media guru. He's doing the very opposite in secret, according to God's time. Not only when he perceives he should, but how he perceives he should. And how is he perceiving he should do things? Secretly, hidden, staying, stabilizing while everyone else is in motion and the dynamics all around him are saying, come, do, show, be, move. He has something going on inside of him that says, no, 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 no. Now, yes, now this way in secret. Fascinating. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus. And they were asking, where is he? Verse 12, among the crowds, there was widespread, and look at this word. There was widespread whispering about him. Some said he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Notice we're going to keep seeing this juxtaposition of public and private and public and secret. And then we even see words like this. We're going to get to another one later where it's whisper, hiddenness, whisper. They're whispering about him. He's not going in the big public show. He's going secretly. And when we think of secret and hidden things, we think of whispering. No one would say anything publicly about him. 
for fear of the leaders. Verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Why does he wait until halfway through the festival? Who knows? But that's what he does. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Again, he's defying their way of thinking. How do you learn and get authority? By being taught by others and then saying things out loud and showing up. Someone else is public and you learn from them. And Jesus is going to keep playing with this idea of public and secret, public and hidden, show and secret, secret place. Jesus answered, verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain, here it is, personal glory, public, show, demonstration. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man or a woman of truth. There is nothing false about him, nothing false about this heart. Now he's starting to play with these ideas that we can be false in a public situation. In our hidden place, it's very difficult to fake anything. We are who we are. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? And then he pauses and asks, why are you trying to kill me? And I love this. The crowd says, you are demon-possessed. The crowd answered, who is trying to kill you? What, are you paranoid? Is there a problem here? Jesus goes on. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. One. You're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, it did not come from Moses, from but the patriarchs, you circumcised a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a whole man's body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by, here it is, mere appearances. Stop judging by what you see, what you perceive, without seeing behind it. But instead, judge, understand correctly. Understand correctly. And at this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Now, didn't this same crowd, or at least some of them in the same crowd said, you're crazy, you're demon-possessed, but now they're owning this. Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Interesting. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, ready? Everything has been hidden and quiet and not so public. And here, the words are shifted from the whispering of the crowds to Jesus. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. Let's hear what he says. He cried out, said in other translations, in a loud, clear, astounding, halting, arresting voice. Yes, you know me. And you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And you, you do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Now, the passage continues on 
into some uh, very powerful ideas and more interactions of Jesus with the crowd. In verse 33, he says, I'm with you for only a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And they say later in verse 36, what does he mean? You will look for me, but you'll not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And what I love right here is that Jesus is basically saying that confusion is part of the process of following him. That he is quite content by his discernment of the Spirit speaking to him, through him, in him. He's quite content to leave them hanging. He doesn't feel a need to have that perfect social post that everyone likes and shares. He's happy to leave things veiled in mystery. In a sense, this is spiritual poetry. He's allowing the tension to sit there with people. Now, if we draw all these threads together from John 7, from our wandering, we'll notice some key themes of repetition. Jesus is on his own time. He is going his own place at a time he discerns. He's happy to be hidden in order to gain that spiritual weight that he will need to stand up in the temple courts and cry out at the right time, at the right place, because his intimacy with the Father is so pure, so unbroken, so invested in that all the din of the crowds and the noise are not swaying him and pushing him into the current. What is happening with Jesus can happen in us for our time. We are pressured on every front as the people of God to give an answer, to say what we think, to make sure we show up, to uh, always be a loud voice in a crowd and in a public gathering. Anyone who's a public figure, anyone who wants to have influence has to show up, right? Has to keep pounding their drum in the face of those who will hear it. But there's something very beautiful we learn here. And that is that Jesus has always been, and we sense it in John chapter 14 and 15 and other passages that are like it. He has always been the Lord of intimacy with the Father. He's always been the one saying, if you want to know God's timetables, if you want to know what to do at your workplace, in your home, when is the right moment? You're going to have to cultivate over time a long, slow, intimate friendship with God. And friends, my experience is that takes hours a week. It takes weeks and weeks a month. It takes years and years of making a daily choice to linger and stay in the presence of God as people of God who love the place of prayer and discovering the Spirit speaking to us through the scriptures more than we love posting, more than we love checking our phone, more than we love others liking and sharing the cool things that we'll share or responding to our great pronouncements on the challenges of the age whether they're a pandemic or over here, whether they're race issues or politics, or whether they relate to all the other topics of the day. My word to us this morning is not that we should never speak, not that we should be silent, but I faced many times over these, this last year people functionally demanding that I make my own set of statements about everything that's happening. And the Holy Spirit just kept saying to me, I want you to love the hidden place. 
I want you to cultivate your intimate friendship with me. I want you to use the tools of Sabbath. I want you to use the tools of scripture reading and reflecting on the scriptures. Many spiritual practices I know that you all have focused on there. I want you to linger in these things because I want you to be someone like Jesus who can in those key moments say, I'm only speaking to you what I sense the Father speaking to me. My opinion is not as valuable to me as me speaking the words of God from his heart through me to those God would give me uh, an audience with. And when we look at John chapter seven, we see in the throngs of the crowds, in the midst of all the noise and the buzz and the celebration, the values flying up in the air, good values in the culture and negative values in the culture, everything all mixed together. It is the people of God who have learned to hear God in their hidden place. They are the ones who will speak the word in season at its time. Even as we walk through our suffering, he is instructing us. Even as we walk through times of great deliberation and decision-making in our lives, even times of celebration, the Holy Spirit is instructing us. We want to become a people who sense Kairos time, Kairos moments, because we are cultivating an intimate communication with the Holy Spirit all through the day, but also in times set aside to cultivate that. That's why Jesus didn't go to the festival when they wanted him to. That's why he didn't act publicly yet. That's why he's speaking one way and then he cries out in a loud voice that you know me, you know me. And if you could only linger in the presence of the Father, you would discern who it is that stands before you. But because you choose the buzz and the noise and the great displays like your religious leaders, and I'm not saying that all religious leaders in our time are all just public, hollow figures. I'm saying that we want to be the kinds of people and then leaders who are continuing to develop a substantial inner court life with God not always riding the latest waves, but we are learning to discern the times, the seasons, the moments to act in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to leave us with that. I hope there was just some wandering in this. I hope that there were some things you noticed a few times. I hope that you walk away from this praying, Holy Spirit, show me the ways that we are to cultivate the kind of friendship that makes me a hearer of your voice, a discerner of your time, an attentive spirit growing in me to your purposes in the world around me and then through me in the moments that you say now. Come, let's act together. We pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, in your living name. We say thank you for these moments together. And all God's people together said, amen, amen. Bless you. Thanks for giving me the privilege of sharing with you today. And uh, may you be encouraged as you, you walk forward. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.